Section 38 of Bits About Tone Matters by Helen Hunt Jackson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 38. The Country Landlord's Side. It is only one side, to be sure, but it is the side of which we hear least. The quarrel is like all quarrels. It takes two to make it. But as, of those two, one is only one, and the other is from ten to a hundred, it is easy to see which side will do most talking in setting forth its grievances. It is naught, it is naught, saith the buyer, and when he has gone his way, then he boasteth. We are often reminded of this text of scripture than of any other when we listen to conversations in regard to borders in country houses. Oh, let me tell you of such a nice place we have found to board in the country. It is only miles from Mount Blank or Blank Lake. The drives are delightful, and board is only seven dollars a week. Is the table a good one? Oh, yes, very good for the country. We had good butter and milk and eggs in abundance. Meats, of course, are never very good in the country, but everybody had gained a pound in a week and we are going again this year, if they have not raised their prices. Then this model of a city woman, in search of country lodgings, sits down and writes to the landlord, Dear sir, we would like to secure our old rooms in your house for the whole of July and August. As we shall remain so long a time, we hope you may be willing to count all the children at half price. Last year, you may remember, we paid full price for the two eldest, the twins, who were not yet quite fourteen. I hope also that Mrs. Blank has better arrangements for washing this summer and will allow us to have our own servant to do the washing for the whole family. If these terms suit you, the price for my family, eight children, myself and servant, would be $38.50 a week. Perhaps if the servant takes the entire charge of my rooms, you would call it $37. As, of course, that would save the time of your own servants. Then the country landlord hesitates. He is not positively sure of filling all his rooms for the season. $37 a week would be, he thinks, better than nothing. In his simplicity, he supposes that if he confers, as he certainly does, a favour on Mrs. Blank by receiving her great family on such low terms, she will be thoroughly well disposed toward him and his house and will certainly not be over-exacting in matters of accommodations. In an evil hour, he consents. They come and he begins to reap his reward. The twins are stout boys, as large as men and much hungrier. The baby is a sickly child of 18 months and requires a special diet which must be prepared to special and inconvenient hours in the crowded little kitchen. The other five children are average boys and girls between the ages of 3 and 12, eat certainly as much as five grown people and make twice as much trouble. The servant is a slow, inefficient, impudent Irish girl who spends the greater part of four days in doing the family washing and makes the other servants uncomfortable and cross. If this were all, but this is not. Mrs. Blank, who writes to all her friends boastingly of the cheap summer quarters that she has found and who gains by the village shopkeeper's scales a pound of flesh a week, habitually finds fault with the food, with the mattresses, with the chairs, with the rag carpets, 
with everything, in short, down to the dust and the flies, for neither of which last the poor landlord could be legitimately held responsible. This is not an exaggerated picture. Everybody who has boarded in country places in the summer has known dozens of such women. Even country landlord can produce dozens of such letters, and of letters still more exacting and unreasonable. The average city man or woman who goes to a country house to board goes expecting what it is in the nature of things impossible that they should have. The man expects to have boots blacked and hot water ready and a bell to ring for both. What experienced country boarder has not laughed in his sleeve to see such a one, newly arrived, putting his head out snappingly like a turtle from his doorway and calling to chance passers, How'd you get anybody in this house? If it is a woman, she expects that the tea will be of the finest flavour and never boiled, that steaks will be porterhouse steaks, that green peas will be in plenty, and that the American girl, who is chambermaid for the summer and school teacher in the winter, and who ten to one could put her to the blush in five minutes by superior knowledge on many subjects, will enter and leave her room and wait upon her at the table with the silent respectfulness of a trained city servant. This is all very silly, but it happens. At the end of every summer, hundreds of disappointed city people go back to their homes, grumbling about country food and country ways. Hundreds of tired and discouraged wives of country landlords sit down in their houses, at last emptied, and vow or vow that never again will they take city folks to board. But the great law of supply and demand is too strong for them. The city must come out of itself for a few weeks and get oxygen for its lungs, sunlight for its eyes and rest for its overworked brain. The country must open its arms, whether it will or not, and share its blessings. And so the summers and the summerings go on and there are always to be heard in the land the voices of murmuring borders and of landlords deprecating, vindicating, we confess that our sympathies are with the landlords. The average country landlord is an honest, well-meaning man whose idea of the profit to be made off borders is so moderate and simple that the keepers of city boarding houses would laugh it and him to scorn. If this were not so, would he be found undertaking to lodge and feed people for one dollar or a dollar and a half a day? Neither does he dream of asking them, even at this low price, to fare as he fares. The excelsior mattresses, at which they cry out in disgust, are beds of down in comparison with the straw tick on which he and his wife sleep soundly and contentedly. He has paid $4.50 for each mattress, as a special concession to what he understands city prejudice to require. The cheap painted chamber sets a holiday adorning by the side of the cherry and pine in the bedrooms of his family. He buys fresh meat every day for dinner, and nobody can understand the importance of this fact who is not familiar with the habit of salt pork and codfish in our rural districts. That the meat is tough, pale, stringy is not his fault. No other is to be bought. Stetson himself if he dealt with this country butcher, could not do better. Vegetables? Yes, he has planted them. If we look out of our windows, we can see them on their winding way. 
They will be ripe by and by. He has never tasted peas in his life before the 4th of July, or cucumbers before the middle of August. He hears that there are such things, but he thinks they must be dreadful and healthy, them things forced out of season. And whether healthy or not, he can't get them. We couldn't ourselves if we were keeping house in the same township. To be sure, we might send to the cities for them and be served with such as we were wilted to begin with and would arrive utterly unfit to be eaten at end of their day's journey, costing double their market price in the added express charge. We should not do any such thing. We should do just as he does, make the best of plum sauce or even dried apples. We should not make our sauce with molasses, probably. But he does not know that sugar is better. He honestly likes molasses better. As for celeratus in the bread, as for fried meat and fried doughnuts and ubiquitous pickles, all those things have he and his fathers before him eaten and he thinks thriven on from time immemorial. He will listen incredulously to all we say about the effects of alkalis, the change of fats to injurious oils by frying, the indigestibility of pickles, etc. For after all, the unanswerable fact remains on his side, though he may be too polite or too slow to make use of it in the argument, that, having fed on these poisons all his life, he can easily thrash us today and his wife and daughters can and do work from morning till night, while ours must lie down and rest by noon. In spite of all this, he will do what he can to humour our whims. Never yet have we seen the country boarding-house where kindly and persistent remonstrance would not introduce the gridiron and banish the frying-pan and obtain at least an attempt at yeast-bread. Good, patient, long-suffering country people, the only wonder to us is that they tolerate so pleasantly, make such effort to gratify the preferences and prejudices of city men and women who come and who remain strangers among them, and who in so many instances behave from first to last as if they were of a different race and knew nothing of any common bonds of humanity and Christianity. End of section 38